0: Hi, it's Jen Giles Kemper here. What do you think of the new show? And specifically, how are you liking these unedited episodes? Would you let me know in a review or on social media? It would mean a lot. As we were producing our latest episode, On Journeying, Travel, Traditions, and Turning to the Psalms with Tish Oxenreiter, we realized something. There's so much that falls on the cutting room floor. So we're trying something we didn't originally plan on. On Thursdays, following a newly released interview episode, we're releasing the long-form conversation as well. We hope it feels like you're sitting in a chair at the table with us. As you'll hear in this conversation with Tish, we dove much deeper into Tish's cross-cultural living experiences, her work as a guide on literary London trips, and her discernment process as she's walked unexpected paths in her vocation. You'll hear more of what made Tish feel lost at sea on her faith journey and how the liturgical year brought her back to God in new ways. We talk about mental health, explore Advent and Christmastide in new and ancient ways, and Tish reveals some personal insight into her decision to close her popular blog at the end of 2020. Like now. (laughs) For the shorter produced version with narration from me, Listen to On Journeying, Travel, Traditions, and Turning to the Psalms with Tish Oxenreiter. In that episode, we pull the threads of what it is to embrace the shadow and light of the Advent season, and I offer a prayer and a reflection too. Merry Christmas. Well, Tish, I am thrilled to have you on and specifically to be talking about Advent. Um, we've been getting to know each other for the last several years, and yet I am Even though I feel like I know you, I would love to hear you talk about your vocational journey, and um, I'm particularly interested to hear you kind of overlay your family life into that. Sure. So I have
1: always been fascinated with cultures, cross-cultural living, sort of travel, you know, in a nutshell. And so back when I first graduated college, I went to the University of Texas, I signed up for this basically year-long internship is a way to put it, um, to Kosovo. This was back Hmm. right when Milosevic had just been ousted. And so it was a war-torn semblance of a country. It wasn't even a country yet. And so there were NGOs coming in, helping basically rebuild the country. So I went and did that. I served as an English teacher. And my whole purpose doing this was just a one-year question. Is this what I want to do full time for the rest of my life. Hmm. And it was not too long into that season when I met my husband, Kyle. He was also there doing the exact Uh same thing, just about, except he was helping, he's got a construction background, so he was helping rebuild houses from the war. And so we met and I will, you know, spare you all the details, but basically (laughs) after our year long um, seasons, because we both were scheduled coincidentally to- um, head back to the States around the same time. We started dating right after that. And then before the year had passed, we were married. So we had started our marriage with this, I don't want to say assumption, but this, um, deeply, um, mutual desire to live cross-culturally and to go overseas again. And so that's how our family started technically really. So, um, (laughs) Long story short, we moved overseas to Turkey when our oldest was two. So she had just turned two. We moved to Turkey um, to work with another nonprofit. And it wasn't too long before that that I became pregnant with our oldest brother. And (laughs) I was diagnosed with depression. And this is all within, you know, basically – a month or so, a couple of weeks, really. It was all during wow. the spring. And I was diagnosed by um, a psychiatrist who had graciously told me, not only do you need to um, take a break from your cross-cultural work in Turkey, you need to actually go somewhere for a season to really focus on getting better. Mm-hmm. And this was largely because of just the situation we were in. There wasn't therapists around that spoke English. And so we ended up going to Thailand. And so we spent a summer in Thailand within Mm -hmm. just a few months of moving to Turkey. And long story short, it was a really great season for us. And at that time, the therapist we had met with suggested, when I returned to Turkey, I should consider finding a creative outlet that had nothing to do with cross-cultural living or figuring out how to, you know, be a person. I don't know if you've ever lived cross-culturally, but you kind of feel like a toddler relearning how to do the most basic of life skills. Yes. Yes. Yeah.
0: I have <laughs> I spent quite a bit of time in, in other countries and, are, and uh-huh. kind of immersed in other languages. And not only do you feel like a toddler, but you're just like mentally exhausted from mm-hmm. the language switching and... Yeah, All, yeah, the different contexts. Yes. And so you're just exhausted from doing the most mundane things like
1: going to the grocery store is like <sighs> an event, you know. <laughs> and so I was pregnant, I was parenting a two year old, and here I am with depression. And so he said, in all of this, find a way to just feel like a person, like find Mm -hmm. a, find some kind of hobby, find some kind of creative outlet. Well, on our way home from that session, Kyle said, you know, you've always liked writing. I wonder if you should start one of those blog things. This was back in 2007. And we had had a blog for the grandparents, you know, like posting photos. This was like, this is definitely before Instagram, but Facebook, I don't think we were even on it. So yeah, yeah. this is just how you did it, you know? And so I knew what a blog was, but he meant sort of like a blog where people that didn't know you might want to read it. (laughs) It sounds hilarious now. Right, (laughs) exactly. Um, So one random afternoon, my son had been born. He was just a few weeks old. Um, I just started this blog in Turkey. In our living room. And I mean, fast forward about six months later, I sold my first little ad in the sidebar. And that was, you know, my first way of making money from something I wrote on the internet. Like, who does that? What a weird job. (laughs) And I bought a coffee, you know, sort of to celebrate. This is. From my work. And so um, ever since then, I had basically run this website and made some semblance of income from working online. And so I share all of this to say I accidentally created a career for myself as a writer that I did not know in a million years I was ever going to do because mm-hmm. we ended up returning back to the States for, for you know, the foreseeable future for some health issues um, of that son that was born. And so now we have three kids, and we have um, moved to various locations in the US, working with other nonprofits. And we're currently now about an hour south of you. Yeah. Jen. Yeah. In a town a little bit north of Austin. And I write full time and I podcast and uh, raise my three little kids who are not so little anymore. My oldest is 15 now. So that tells you the timeline a little bit. So that's the gist of my vocation.
0: That was kind of long winded, but there you go. Well, and, and so kind of along the way, Kyle has done several different things, Mm -hmm. a lot of it with construction. And I know he's, he's worked quite a bit on your home. Mm -hmm. Um, That is, that's such a fun thing for me, like to see (laughs) and working on our home and working on projects together with my husband is such, such an outlet. Um, So it's been fun to see, Mm -hmm. see you guys do that for sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, he loves working with his hands. He he worked for me for quite a bit of that time that I just blitzed through. Um, mm-hmm. it, we were working together and then we had traveled around the world for a year backpacking. And on that trip... You know, we were working the entire time. Kyle had said, you know, when we come back and settle somewhere new, I would kind of like to get back to working with my hands again. He kind of missed, mm-hmm. he was getting a little bit tired of the virtual everything. And I, yeah. man, I totally, totally get that. Yes. And so he got back to working with his hands and he loves it. And so, yes, while he works in our house, it's definitely a forever, like, it feels like we've been living in a fixer upper since the dawn of time. <laughs> um, and, you know, you look everywhere and you see a project. You can't like turn your head and see something that doesn't need to. To be worked on, but I love it. I love living in an old house that's got all these quirks and you know stories. And I don't know, I wouldn't trade it.
0: Same, same, same. Well, okay. So I know that for years you have, um, as I've heard you describe your vocational life and the way that you see your primary identity. I mean, you're an incredible entrepreneur. As you've already said, you're a writer and an author. podcaster for many years, blogger and have, have managed kind of all manner of team from like a suite of writers that you're editing and, and collaborating with. Um, and you lead trips as well. So I'm curious, like, do you currently see your primary vocational identity as a writer, as an author, or, or is it even still a part of that core or is it something else? Huh. Yeah, that's, that's a good question. So,
1: you know, as at the time that I'm talking with you, I am ending said blog that I started way back in Turkey at the end of this year in 2020. That's not, yeah, yeah it's not a secret. I've mentioned it on July, sorry, January 1st of this year.
0: Yeah.
1: And, uh, you know, announcing basically, hey, everyone, December 31st is going to be the last post. And so, the thing is, that might have suddenly seemed new to people, but I have been thinking about it for several years. And I think the reason, and man, this could be a whole, <laughs> this could take hours, but really and truly, I've been feeling kind of, um, I don't want to say tired or burned out. I just feel like, so I don't know if you and you get this, but sometimes I feel like you have grace for a certain task or a mm. role for a season, and then one day you kind of just sort of wake up and you don't have that grace anymore. Yeah. And so I think I had kind of started feeling that grace, the the tank, go a little low, um, I don't know, a year before then, almost a couple of years now. So um, I still think of myself as... I guess an entrepreneur, but honestly, I think of myself more as like self-employed or a freelancer, mm-hmm. and less like a business owner. Because interesting, I, I guess I just realized I'm, I worked with a um, a coach, a business coach, who is. A friend, she works online as well, so she understands the world that uh, you and I share online. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and, and she just helped me work through and unpack everything, and helped me realize that at the end of the day, I see myself more as a writer than anything else, like a storyteller almost. Yeah. Um. So I really think of my three main gigs as writer, podcaster, and travel guide, really and truly. And then anything else is just sort of icing on the cake. So that's that's what I see myself as now.
0: That's so fun to hear. And I think my experience with vocational callings is that there are seasons and it helps to name them and celebrate them and mark the milestones and also end them well. And so it has been really neat, especially in work that you often don't see people celebrating endings or marking endings. You see people as they end things sort of slipping away. Mm -hmm. Um, It has been really, really cool for me to see you like, own and name this shift in seasons intentionally and well, and celebrate it um, as it should be celebrated because it's a huge deal and um, it is the result of a fruitful season of good work for a long time. Um, so, to see you celebrating and marking it is, um, well, You'll, you'll get you'll get cake from me for sure Aww. um I'm thrilled Aww. for you and it we'll this time. feels like a kind of a crowning moment as we're as we're nearing in the year uh, as we're nearing <laughs> the end of the year sentences <laughs> are hard as we are nearing the end of the year to crown this with this new book so you've written several books you've you've mentioned some of those and your latest is about advent so I wonder if you could tell me after writing about home and travel and uh, all of the different topics that you've explored, from simplicity to life with young children and educating at home and renovating a home, like what made you want to tackle Advent?
1: Yeah, it, it almost looks like quite a departure. If you were to look at the path that my books, You know, if if each book is like a paver on a path, it looks like I'm like winding all over the place through the woods. And in a way, that's true because I am multifaceted like we all are and have different interests. And, you know, hopefully my next couple books are going to be a total departure as well. But um, Advent has been very dear to my heart probably the past five years or so since Mm -hmm. we've returned from our trip, but really even before then. And the reason is because when we moved back from Turkey to the States, I felt a bit unmoored. I felt sort mm. of like I didn't know where I belonged. I didn't know who I was in some ways. I just felt a little lost at sea. I didn't doubt my faith as a whole, but I, I really wrestled with what is timeless, orthodox, black and white um, tenets of my faith and what is just cultural. Mm. And I an start, important question. <laughs> it's an important for all of us, right? And I think as we get older, we start realizing how many more things are gray than black and white and how we have way more questions than answers. And so I was going through that at the same time, just as we all do. And so I think I realized, gosh, there's something about the ancient church and its liturgical practices that feel like scaffolding. Like they feel yeah. like a way for me to build... Um, the scaffolding around, so that as I um, erect my wall of this is the tenets of my faith and who I believe, who I am, and what I believe, um, this holds it up a little steadier, you know. Yeah. It, it, and so, um, I started getting into the liturgical calendar, and I, I'm sure a lot of listeners on your, you know, particular podcast know what this is, but. Um, Advent being the start of the new year, that's kind of where I started first. And I grew up in an environment in a church that was a lovely church, but did not get into this historical church at all. Yeah, Um, I really had no concept of it. It sounded a bit like either ancient or kind of woo woo, kind of a, (laughs) a mix of both, you know. Um and so we just started doing this as a family just with resources I found online and found that I really appreciated it even if the churches we were going to and and trying to figure out where we landed didn't really have any concept of this. So we started practicing advent at home with just a simple like lighting of the candle and reading of things but I quickly found that everything available to me out there was either you know I had kids you know, minus five years from now, almost well, six years, really. So my oldest was like eight to nine um, mm-hmm. and, and onward down. And um, everything was either like way too deep and heady or way too cutesy and crafty. And I'm yep. not a, I'm not a crafty mom.
0: Same. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: I had to, I had to grow to accept that about myself that, you know, I am great with providing the construction paper and the scissors and the glue, Um But I will let the kids do what they need to do. And I'm not going to give them, you know, some sort of instructions. But yet I tried that because I kind of felt like this is what good moms do. And so I would um, subscribe to these Advent practices where you make something every day or you, you know, we tried the Jesse tree situation. And that just ended up not working out for us because like everything just felt like too much. It just felt like any Advent thing we did was adding more to my plate instead of being the plate. Like instead right. of being the framework from w- for which we looked at the holidays and it just felt exhausting. So um, I remember the Christmas before our trip around the world telling Kyle, I hate that I feel like a Scrooge. Like I feel like a, a Grinch who just does not like the holidays because it just feels like too – Much And so our trip next year, we're going to be living out of backpacks who knows where. That sounds really (laughs) nice. Like, can we just skip Christmas one year? (laughs) Um, And so we had this delightful holiday season on our trip because we hardly did anything. But the things we did do were great. And so that kind of felt like a reset button. So that when we came back, we we tried to basically reclaim the Advent season the way it worked best for us.
0: So I'm curious – I I actually think that there is a really beautiful through line through your books. And so to hear you say that it might seem like you're jumping around kind of made me laugh to think like, no, it feels like,
1: you know, (laughs) the right
0: next stone in the path. Um, But I actually think that because Advent is not something that you grew up with or even that you started um, as a part of your family practice from the very beginning, I think that those of us that come to it maybe can translate it for other people in ways that if uh, if it's all you know, it doesn't occur to you that it needs translation. So, yeah. I'm curious, what do you feel like is at stake um, when the season of Advent is lost and just forsaken for like a a Christmas that starts at Thanksgiving mm-hmm. and then ends, you know, the day of Christmas? Yeah.
1: You know, I always kind of side-eye the whole war on Christmas rhetoric that happens (laughs) in our vernacular and on social media because I really don't think that's the case at all. Um, So for me, yeah, I mourn a little bit of the potential loss of the culture, but I don't think that has to do with Advent or not Advent. That has to do with... um, just our capitalist culture that we live in. But I think what can happen is we can so easily buy into that, that we forget. I mean, this sounds so hokey, so Linus, but like the true meaning of Christmas, <laughs> um, but really you're right. The thing is we are, our, our calendars are just a little bit askew. And so what yeah. we lose is uh, both community with ourselves more in the season that, you know, the liturgical calendar is a gift. It's not a burden. And so if this is a gift from God via the church, then we are invited purposely to slow down at Advent, you know, the four Sundays before Christmas, that we can pause and recognize the slow movement from darkness to light and and kind of tiptoe our way through the season by asking us to, you know, through. The things we think about, listen to, look at, meditate on to simplify, to truly ask ourselves, what does it mean that God became man, you know, the incarnation? And so we miss out on that invitation to slow down and. We miss out on communion with the saints. You know, these hmm. there have been saints for centuries who have recognized Advent, and while God isn't up there, you know, with a tally board saying, "Are you going to practice Advent today?" You know, it's it's not something that we're trying to keep records of, but this is the way the Church, the historic Church, has seen these. Um, Festivals and these feast days and these celebrations and these seasons for hundreds of years. And so we miss out on kind of the fullness of the faith in that way. And so, and then you're right, Christmas doesn't actually start until Christmas Day, you know, December 25th. And so we also miss out on the 12 days of Christmas because I don't know about you. uh, Like, I don't know if you've been celebrating Advent your whole life, but I have, you know, as I said, I hadn't. Yeah, I hadn't. Yeah. By Christmas Day, Uh, So many of us are wiped out like we don't. We're tired of it, and so mentally,
0: emotionally, physically,
1: all the things. (laughs) All the things.
0: (laughs) And so, like by December,
1: maybe twenty eighth, you're like, I want this tree down. I want all my decorations put up. And what a shame, you know. (laughs) It's kind of, and you know, inside, you're like, oh, that's kind of a bummer. Well, if we slow down via Advent, we then are super ready to feast by December twenty fifth, and we can enjoy a full twelve days of Christmas, which ends the evening of December. I mean, January fifth, which is super fun. So we miss out on that too.
0: Yeah. I th- I think that what has felt like it's been lost for me um, <laughs> are some good things, right? Like by, by enjoying Advent and accepting an invitation to into the season, you get a slow on-ramp. You get some time and some space. It, it can definitely feel like if you don't start at the beginning with your four candles and your you know, all the things then you're missing out. Um, and yet I, I feel like I fought really hard to to tell, um, tell myself a different story that the whole point is a slow building preparation. And, um, I think as, as you know, from preparing big trips or from preparing you know, writing a book is a long process. Giving birth to a child is a long process. Building a house is a long process. Trips, you know, trips around the world and vocational calling, it's a long process. Um, And so I love that in this model of what it means to be fully human, if we look at at the life of Christ as a model of of full humanity, that like we get to go into this whole season of preparation, meaning like it matters. It matters that, to prepare slowly and, and well, and then to be fully present to Christmas as, um, as we have that invitation as well. Um, I'd love to hear you talk more about the ways that you've named the four weeks in the, um, in your book. So you've got expectation, preparation, anticipation, and gratitude. I know different traditions have different names for each week, but I think yours, um, yours are beautiful. Say more. (laughs) <laughs> Say more about that. Okay. Well, you know,
1: I I took the names because basically, well, just to kind of back up a tiny bit, what people are holding in their hands when they get Shadow and Light is the book that I created for my family because I couldn't find it. <laughs> um, you know, I looked for something that was both Simple yet rich. I wanted something open and go, and yet contemplative. So that's basically what I had in mind. Um, whenever I named these four weeks, I basically thought of my mental state mm. um, throughout these four weeks. But I also tied it into the historic, um, the historic meanings. And yeah, you're right. There are different traditions that call them different things. You know, especially the candles we see. Typically in most traditions, the idea of the candles representing hope, love, joy, and peace. And so to me, expectation feels a little bit like hope. Mm-hmm. Preparation sort of kind of feels like love. And then joy feels like anticipation and gratitude feels like peace. And so it's sort of a both and situation. So I see yeah. it, I see them dovetailing, dovetailing really well with those two ideas. Um, because I think we walk through, you know, when we start Advent, we have that, um, yay, the holiday is we can, we finally have permission to do the things we've been wanting to do. And then week two, we're sort of feeling that, um, okay, I want to do all the things, but I also want to hold back. And it, you start feeling that tension that those of us who want to practice Advent mindfully do where, you know, everyone around us is is doing all the things and we want to slow down so we don't burn out. But then week three, the anticipation part, you know, it's both joy and a little bit of almost not so much panic, but that feeling you get whenever your kid who is so excited about Christmas says, guess what, mom, 12 days until Christmas. And (laughs) you hear this like, oh, no, you know, and he hears it as yay, that kind of feeling where you're just a bit like, wait, slow, slow, slow down. Um, And then finally, by the last week, you just have gratitude where, okay, what's done is done. I do not need to create more. I can just slow down and enjoy the season. And so to me, it kind of feels like a natural walkthrough of what most of us um, feel during the
0: season. Well, I think it's beautifully articulated. And in fact, to that point, I wonder if you could read a little section for us Mm -hmm. on um, page 16. For those of you who already have the book, uh, we are so thrilled to carry Shadow and Light in our shop. And um, so I'd love to invite you to turn to page 16 if you have it and open up and... um, so much of enjoying a season and being fully present to it is about the posture that you assume mentally, emotionally, in your relationships, in your work, and um, even physically. And so I wonder if you could read us about what the posture of Advent is. Yeah, I'd be happy to. All right. What is our
1: posture for Advent? Remember the childlike feeling of giddy excitement about Christmas's arrival, wondering what was inside the boxes under the tree and drooling at the thought of the table spread? This is an accurate posture for Advent. We recognize Advent because our souls long for the full redemption of the world and because Advent aligns our minds with what we already anticipate, a full feasting with Christ. As a season of reflection, Advent provides the space and freedom necessary to feel and understand what it means to wait on God. Like a child who needs to eat her vegetables before she has dessert, Advent is widely designed, sorry. Advent is wisely designed to help us contemplate what it means to need the presence of God before feasting on it.
0: You know, in that quote and and the conversation earlier, you mentioned the word contemplate. Um, I wonder if you would share more about why that feels like an important part of the posture in Advent, as well as I, I'd venture to say an important part of your posture in life overall. Mm.
1: I think Christmas, you know, this whole season that we're, we're talking about, Advent, the, which typically starts right after American Thanksgiving, can often be mostly outward, at least Mm. culturally, you know, we we have the decorations out on our house in hopes that not so much that they impress our neighbors, but that they sit well with our neighbors, (laughs) we decorate our house so that it looks the way we want it to feel and we accept all these invitations to well maybe not in 2020 but you know to <laughs> holiday parties and gatherings and going to this thing and that thing and that thing and so it's it's nothing bad it's just a lot of outward stuff and that i feel like is why we start feeling really busy because it's so outward focused where when we truly stop and pause and remember that it's Advent, we're given the invitation to look inward. We're given the invitation to tether our soul to, you know, the true meaning of the holidays and being able to contemplate during Advent really fulfills its mission because it is truly about the inward journey. You know, Advent is often called the already not yet season And it's this idea that we recognize Christ's coming to earth, you know, God made flesh 2000 plus years ago. And so we recognize that that has already happened. But it's a mindful exercise to remember that we are still waiting on Christ's return when all will be made new and when all the things that we see in the world will be made whole again. And so as we go through traffic and Costco lines and deal with kid stuff and bills and much, much harder things, you know, that we see in the world today, it has not been an easy year. We remember this is not all there is. And yet if we don't stop and spend time in contemplation, we forget that. We forget that what our eyes see outwardly is not all there is. And so, yeah, I think this is the, I hate to say it, but correct posture for walking through life in general, even outside of Advent. This is, um, I think, what God invites us to do as we're pilgrims on earth, because this isn't our true home. And so mindfulness, contemplation is us pausing to remember, oh, yeah, this is not all there is. I am not, you know, my, my primary allegiance and my primary citizenship is not here. It's elsewhere. That's why things feel a little janky and askew and not quite right. Okay. Thank you for the reminder onward,
0: you know, and right. It it gives you the permission to, um, tend to the inner work while the outer work goes on and on and, and needs us always. Right. There's, there's always work to be done in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, but it gives you a place to um, draw in and ground yourself in in Christ and prayer and Scripture, um, so that you can pour out from you know from a full cup rather than an empty cup. Um, but I'm curious if we you know as you as you mentioned the already not yet aspect of of Advent. I'm wondering, even though we celebrate the already that God has already come and revealed himself in Christ, part of this story, um, there is still that not yet part. So I wonder if there's a particular part in your own life, in your own neighborhood, in your own city, or um, in the world, our nation or the world at large, that you're particularly praying for God to come and um, be revealed this Advent season. Yeah,
1: you know, I am a mom of a teenage girl, but I'm also a high school teacher. I've been doing this for three years now. And this is another part of my vocation that I absolutely love, even though I only do it twice a week for a few hours. And so I'm around quite a few teenagers, mm-hmm. so much more than I ever was and before this. And I surprised myself how much I love it. I love <laughs> teens. They're so fun. They remind me of how... It feels to be young and have all these questions and to feel so bright eyed about the world and um, to really I don't, be passionate about things and not so tired. However, <laughs> however, something that is just so fascinating to me that is different than when you and I were teens is the amount of and not only the quantity, but the quality, like the heaviness of mental health pressure mm. that. Teens feel, especially teen girls. My own daughter has gone through this, many of her friends and many of my students. And I am burdened to pray for so many of my students who struggle with mental health in a way that we never dealt with. And my guess, you know, not to sound like old man shakes fist at cloud and um, get off my lawn. But my guess is it's social media. And Mm. it's the internet and the rhetoric and the way we interact with each other as a society, because that's the thing that wasn't there. You know, we had other forms of peer pressure and social issues and anxieties and all that, that is just normal with being a teen. But it's, it's, heavy right now. And so for me, when I think about the already not yet, I think so much about um, how often I am on my knees for my daughter, for her brothers, and for these kids that I'm around that they carry a lot. And I'm curious how things are going to go with this generation. It's not that I don't have hope. I'm actually quite hopeful that they are going to be the generation that makes this hopefully a little better, but the discourse online and, um, you know, it's already hard for us as adults, but the way it is for someone full of hormones and, and questions and insecurities is just my, like, I can't even imagine dealing with
0: social media during those years. I can't even imagine. Such a budding identity, right? I mean, and, and so much about life online is about claiming identity, claiming and, and proclaiming over and over and over your identity, um, that when you're discovering that and it is growing as certainly I hope it is for the rest of us adults as well. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I think that's certainly a heavy, would be a heavy burden. Um, yeah. And, you know, and my daughter who's, you know,
1: 15, she'll be 16 on us like in a few weeks. Um, she stopped being on social media. I don't know a year and a half ago, maybe, maybe not even that long ago, night and day difference in her mental Mm -hmm. health and her ability to concentrate. And it's not because like, she's, you know, a remarkable kid. That's so different from everyone else. She's very normal (laughs) in all the good ways. Um, but just simply stopping that, um, input in her life, you know, when, when I think of writing a book and you put it out in the world and there's all these places for people to write reviews or comment or, or, you know, just metrics whenever you post, hey, I've got this <laughs> work that I, I, I created for you and it's a labor of love and people can immediately just make an opinion public. And so it really, mm-hmm. I've long said that it feels like selling your guts on the internet and asking people what they think. That. Yes. I would imagine that it's these teens that are largely doing the same thing. They're putting their guts out on the internet and asking people, what do you think? What do you think about me? And us as adults, you know, our prefrontal cortexes are matured. We, you know, it's still not easy for us. We still struggle with mental health issues because of the internet. But we at least can cognitively, most of us separate our identity of like who I am and where my worth is with what people think of me that don't even know me. That's not so easy for growing minds and bodies. And so, yeah, it, it's it, to me a heavy issue. It's it's definitely a not yet thing that mm-hmm. uh, I look at square in the face several times a week when I sit around these teens.
0: <laughs> well, I'm curious if her step back from social media, did it coincide with some of your changes <laughs> in the way that you show up in social media? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, we, we both did it together, in fact. Um, so 2018, is that right? 2019. 2019, I took a month-long sabbatical from um, the internet, and I'd never done that before. I had taken small little breaks here and there. I have taken what I would call fake breaks, where I would (laughs) be (laughs) off from, like, posting, but I would still check, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, But I took a full-on, like, okay, I've been doing this for 12 years now, I have to take a sabbatical. Um, It's the internet, I am not doing brain surgery, things will be fine without (laughs) me for one month. And so for the for July, I, you know, basically, I led my first, no, I led my second literary London. And I flew back met my family in California, we were road tripping up to Oregon to visit family. And as soon as I landed, you know, we basically, reconnected. And once that happened, I took all the social media apps off my phone and my assistant Caroline basically held down the fort for a month. And I won't get into all the details of how we made it work. It was a lot of work building up to it. Yeah, Um, But I really went off the grid for a whole month and she joined me. Like we both did it together because my Hmm. thought was, if I'm telling her, don't spend so much time on your phone, it's really messing with your help. Yet she sees me scrolling my phone, even if it's for work, or even if it's because I, quote, know better, you know, Um, (laughs) meaning like I know how to interpret someone's comment on an Instagram post, that doesn't matter, you know. And so after that sabbatical, that was a game changer for me in terms of realizing the value of social media, even in work. And so I'm not necessarily completely leaving right now, because there is good that comes from it. You know, yeah. I appreciate so many of the friends I've made. I mean, I've met you and I've met so many people and it's been a really great thing. But um, I, yeah, I, I, I have been so much better with spending much less time on social media in particular, maybe not so much the internet per se. They don't, you know, they're not the same thing, but social media, um, just separating my work and my identity from that has
0: really helped. And I know I'm missing out on things. I know I can make more money. Sure. Well, there's zero question about whether you're missing out on things in my mind, at least the question is just if the things you're missing out on are worth what you would otherwise be missing out on. Exactly. To catch them. Right. Yeah, there's an opportunity cost, you know? Mm -hmm. So if I am
1: spending X number of hours a day on Instagram, what am I not doing instead? Am I not getting enough sleep? Am I not working out? Am I not having coffee with a friend once a week or whatever? Am I not reading a book? I mean, honestly, a lot of that came down to I miss reading books and not thinking about what, you know, I should post about it or. People need to know somehow. Um, So, and I think the other thing is, the less time you spend on it, you know, these things are engineered to be addictive, Um, right? These things, meaning it's by design. It's by design. It's a feature, not a bug, and so it works properly when it's addictive. And so, whenever you step away from it and it loses its stronghold, it just starts feeling a bit ridiculous, to be honest. Mm -hmm. So that when you know, I go on Instagram once a week now, and so when I do Thursdays, right. Fridays now. Yeah. Oh, Fridays. But, okay, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't really matter. But yeah, um, Fridays. I see it and it just doesn't have the pull it used to. Like I, mm-hmm. I genuinely can be on there for one hour and then that's it for the week. And it doesn't feel – I mean, yeah, I'm sure I missed some amazing Instagram story that everyone else saw and is talking about, but I don't really care, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and it's been great.
0: Yeah. I'm curious if there are other I think I've started like 400 questions with it's I'm okay. curious yeah. sorry um, <laughs> I'm genuinely curious and so I start a question that way <laughs> Sure um okay. I I'd love to hear if there are other practices that have been particular anchor points for you um maybe that that have helped ground your posture or informed different postures for you mm-hmm. and maybe even the ways that different practices have built rhythms for your life, whether kind of on a daily, a daily rhythm or weekly rhythm, or certainly mm-hmm. uh, larger rhythms like the liturgical year. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. I can think of a few
1: daily and a few weekly things. Um, the first one that came to mind and you said ground. And so my, my dumb punny brain went to, Oh, the garden. Um, <laughs> but I truly, believe, and it, I don't think this is hyperbole, that starting a backyard garden saved my sanity. I, mm. I actually started it in uh, in tandem with the liturgical calendar a few years ago for Lent. So, you know, I, I love the idea with Lent. Um, you know, it, it, most of us know of, of it as a season of fasting, but it's also a really great practice to add something as well mm-hmm. as you walk through Advent, I mean, Lent, Um Almost like not so much polar opposite from what you're fasting from, but sort of, kind of, in a way. And so I just started one year. Um, I thought, OK, the thing I'm going to add for Lent is a backyard garden. I'd wanted to do this for a while now. And so we just created one little raised bed slowly throughout Advent. And it, it, I keep saying Advent because I'm <laughs> slowly, <laughs> slowly through Lent. And it works out well because it's the spring. And so it starts off really cold still. By Easter, it's nice and warm, at least here in Texas. And so it was perfect. And I found there to be something really great about slowing down and literally digging in the dirt, like getting my fingernails dirty and just being out there so therapeutic And I know so many people know this. Everyone knows the psychological benefits of plants and gardening, but it was so true. And I really surprised myself so that um, especially now, fast forward 2020, our backyard garden, which is now four raised beds, a old bathtub full of herbs, several bushes and a composting bin. And we have chickens now and the whole bit. Um, It has been such a welcome invitation to slow down very literally, because it's really hard to shortcut gardening. And right. And fast forward that you really can't. And you have to tend it or it dies. And there's no way it can't be analog. You know, you cannot virtually. <laughs> I mean, I guess you could through an app, but that's not the that's not the same thing. Um, and so I think gardening has been so great. And trust me, I am not that great at gardening. I'm just a normal person who obeys what YouTube tells me to do, um, (laughs) what Central Texas Gardener on PBS tells me to do. Same, Um, same. Yeah. So I've just learned a lot is, is all I'm saying. And so that's been really delightful. And so I garden a little every day still, because it has to happen, you know, even if it's just little things like just pulling some weeds or just making sure this one plant got enough water or whatever it is. Um, It's been delightful and it's been such a great way to both like lean into the seasons, the literal seasons outside, but also lean into the seasons of the liturgical calendar that God's given us um, so that, you know, it's in full bloom right around Eastertide. It starts slowing down around Advent. You know, here in Texas, we can grow till pretty much advent. Um, And so there's just something really symbolic I find about all of that. So gardening has been huge for me. And so that's both like a weekly thing because I really tend to it on Saturdays. And that means I either leave my phone on the charger inside or I just have my earbuds in and I'm listening to an audiobook or podcasting or whatever, but I'm not staring at my phone. And so it feels very analog regardless of um, where that phone is. And so, yeah, that's probably the biggest way for me.
0: I love hearing that. I, I have found um, similarly that uh, <laughs> my garden doesn't care if I sent any emails that week <laughs> or if I took any half-decent pictures or if I yelled at my kids or if I apologized to my husband. Um, I, I, I can just be myself <laughs> in mm-hmm. – with my hands in the dirt um, and honestly it just gives me time to contemplate the rest of the stuff Yeah, uh, so that I can show up in the ways that I want to instead of in the ways that I that I sometimes will um, when I don't have the space to think about yeah. <laughs> a better and- way.
1: And you know, I really feel like it's truly grounding in the sense of uh, being hyper local. I mean, obviously it is, but you can't help but be literally where you were planted on Earth when you garden. You have to be there. And so, when I'm in my backyard, we live in an old neighborhood right off the of town square historic town square. And so my neighbors are all around me and I have this old Mm -hmm. stone wall that's a fence that's not very tall. And so, you know, our neighbor next door to us, he's getting his PhD in philosophy, but he works at a local farm. So he will leave us plants on the wall. And then in exchange, we leave him stuff. And it's this sort of symbiotic relationship. And our neighbor on the other side is teaching us about raising chickens. And, you know, so there's something just really great about, um, that analog life of slowing down that you remember like, Oh, there's actually 3d people all around me. (laughs) They're not Mm -hmm. avatars. They're not, you know, profile pics. These are real people. And I think we really miss out on that when we forget to do those things. And so um, some form of analog working with your hands kind of practice, I think is so huge for living more in tandem with the rhythms God's given us as a gift.
0: Agreed, agreed, agreed. Mm-hmm. Um, I've loved, I've loved the way it has helped me meet more of my neighbors, and just I, I joke too that I'm, part, I must be part plant because without sunshine I perish, and mm-hmm. so um, it is helpful to have some dedicated time outside that um, I know I'm going to get to soak up some sun. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Me too. Um, I lost. I got too excited to listen to your. <laughs> gardening chat and lost track mentally of the other question that came to mind give me a sec that's fine oh okay Mm -hmm. so um as you said you didn't grow up in a tradition that celebrated advent or followed the liturgical year and like yet you found that to be such a gift um which makes me think that you you know you've changed uh tradition and and denominational lines along the way perhaps Mm -hmm. um And I know, particularly this book, that your hope is that it really is um, a meaningful ecumenical resource. And I think that's you have certainly accomplished your goal. So I'm curious, why is ecumenism important? Let me start over. Um, Why (laughs) is ecumenism important to you? And does that feel like a new thing, or is that more more the same of your cross cultural interest?
1: In a way, it's been more the same in that I've always cared about that. If I can look back, because I remember rubbing shoulders with different people that um, practice their faith slightly differently, even though we believed the essentials, you know, we shared the same essentials. And I would be around people who prescribed to certain camps that would maybe look askew at some of their practices. And I just remember thinking in my head, well, what's the big deal if they love this? then, and it's not antithetical to our shared faith, why is this problem? And so I think I have always really cared about ecumenism, you know, really just equanimity in general among people. I really love um, that value a lot. I see that reflected in a lot of the work I do um, and and sort of the, the way I approach my work. But this book in particular, I really cared a lot about that because the the, you know, kind of like what I said earlier, the older I get, the more I realize how much is gray. I think also the older I get, the more I realize, um, how important those fundamentals of the faith are and that we all share them really, that we, um, truly the global church is a thing to behold. And in our divided world, you know, again, to, to, harp on the 2020 clichés but in these in these times when we're so divided it is essential that we remember how unified we are in the things that matter and so for me i wanted a book that the the protestants that i have grown up with and my catholic brothers and sisters and everyone in between can look at this and say okay i can agree with this so you know when we became anglican and Started this practice of uh, a liturgical service on Sundays when we would go to church. One of the things I loved about it was things like reciting the creeds and um, all the scripture read and the things that we got to participate in because I loved the idea of saying After a week of doubting and not knowing which end is up and not knowing if I agree with X, Y, and Z, I feel like, okay, I can point to that Nicene Creed and say, all right, I agree with that. Or this prayer from the Book of Common Prayer, all right, someone wrote that like 500 years ago. And it stood the test of time. I agree with that. And so to me, there's something beautiful about being ecumenical in our approach to the liturgical calendar because it reminds us of what all we have in common versus what all we disagree on, really. And so that's one of the reasons I chose the Psalms for reflecting on Advent, walking mm-hmm. from shadow to light, because uh, everyone reads the Psalms, <laughs> you know, every every faith tradition, even um, our Jewish tradition. Uh, Neighbors read the Psalms, and because it's a book of poetry and I like poetry, and I think Advent should be infused with more poetry. And I even (laughs) chose a particular translation that the United States Council of Catholic Bishops have agreed on is a great translation, and Protestants agree with it as well. And so to me, it's just these little bitty touches that I really cared about, so that this book can sit on a coffee table, and no matter what it is you believe, you can open it up and say, oh, okay, this is about what Christmas is about. And I don't know about all that other stuff, but yeah, this this stuff I think I can agree with because um, this is what we share,
0: you know? Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Mm-hmm. Well, I know that you have um, a particular love for making your own Advent candles. Mm-hmm. Um, and we actually have some... Um, candle making kits that will be in the shop. No way. Uh, (laughs) By the time this is, this is live. Um, So maybe I'll just restate that. So we actually have, um, you know, advent candle making kits with the beeswax. And uh, I know that's a favorite of yours in our shop, as well as some other hand dipped beeswax you know, pure beeswax candles as well. If you, if you don't want to roll your own and you just want to taper. So we've got Uh a couple different options. Um, I'd love to know what you've loved about that as someone who has already said that you're not a crafty person, what is it about (laughs) making something with your hands? And and maybe it's just that it's making something with your hands that, that you've loved about it.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, what is so great about these hand rolled beeswax candles? I do love working with my hands. I just don't Like crafting, and so I think there's something different. You know, I love baking. I love. I really do love making things. I think I just don't love googly eyes. (laughs) Um, blue, right? So, the beeswax candles. I mean, they're basically my favorite craft because they take maybe two minutes, um, you literally roll them and you're done, you know? And so our kids all get together, you know, I've got three kids and it works out well that there's five candles in an, uh, advent wreath because there's five of us. And so the kids all, it's so silly kids. They, they like who gets the pink one, who gets the white, whatever, you know, and they all pick, but it's all the same. Cause you just roll this, Sheet of beeswax with the wick in, and you stick it in the wreath. And our wreath is a log that's come from our backyard. That Kyle just drilled holes in, and he he cut the bottom off a little so it just stays put. Yeah, and so it's very natural and it's very local. And so to me, something about beeswax keeps everything as natural as possible and keeps it as sort of in tandem with the seasons as possible. Meaning like Mm -hmm. nature is longing to celebrate Advent as well. And uh, beeswax candles melt quickly. These aren't things that will last for years and years. And I actually really like that. And so it reminds us also of just the, the hearkening season is coming, you know, coming soon. And so there's just something I really, I, I like about it. And then plus it gives off just this faint, faint scent of honey a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I love that.
0: So anyway, I, I, it yeah, makes it a, a nice overall sensory experience for exactly. sure. They've got a nice crackle. They melt, you know, um, mm-hmm. you know, melt well. I'm I'm with you. In fact, we started um, carrying these liturgy wood waiting candles as well because oh. I just wanted a really simple, beautiful live edge
1: mm-hmm.
0: wood piece for for my Advent wreath um, so cool. rather than something that felt really glitzy and glamory. So, um, I feel yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's really cool. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. So one last question and mm-hmm. then, um, we can kind of switch, switch gears a bit. So, sure. um, one last question. I know that you have put together a playlist for shadow and light mm-hmm. and our advent playlist that we've created and shared over the years is is a favorite for folks too. Are there any particular advent songs or song that is, um, just your, your favorite or anything you'd want to call out. Sure. So as soon as you said this, I pulled up Spotify. Cause I was like, Oh, <laughs> I know she's going to ask
1: the last time I did a podcast, they asked you and I wasn't prepared. So I'm pulling this up. Sorry. <laughs> Cause I totally was like, what is that song called? So <laughs> pulling it up really fast. Sorry. Hold please. That's um, great. <laughs> Internet's being slow. Okay. Shadow and
0: light. We put together our playlist originally um, because we were creating resources initially for Advent, mm-hmm. um, way far outside of that season. And so we we put together a playlist and had certain scented candles and some things that we would, you know, burn in the studio and listen to as we were creating to kind of help us get in the mood. And then we went on and, and created one for every for every season, uh, which I've loved and it's been neat. We've shared those initially, just like we already created them. We might as well share them. Um, but it's been so fun to see people say like, Oh, this is super helpful. And like my taste in music is different than yours or the same as yours or whatever. And so Hmm. then people have used ours as a seed or, you know, certainly others, um, to really then make their own playlists for different seasons and and feast days, which I just, I think is fun. So I hope they'll do the same with yours, perhaps incorporating Mm -hmm. your favorite song.
1: That's very fun. I love that. Yeah, I've been surprised at people's response to my Advent playlist because, I mean, you well know, having made an Advent playlist, there's not a lot of at classically Advent carols out there. <laughs> right. you know? If you search Advent on Spotify, you're just not going to find a lot of specific songs. And, you know, I tell people a lot Whenever I talk about celebrating Advent before Christmas, I'm not a purist, you know. So if I'm gonna go into a coffee shop and they're gonna play Frosty the Snowman, I'm not gonna stick my fingers in my ears and you know say, right. la, 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 I can't hear that right now. And so I'm fine with Christmas carols beforehand. So I just love people to know that in advance that I'm not confused, <laughs> like, these are the songs you have to listen to and none else, you know. No. Nope. Um, but I appreciate having uh, hymns and songs that reflect a season of waiting and a season of anticipation, instead of just the "Yay, Christmas is here" kind of carols. Even though I love those just as much, you know, just like what we were talking about with wanting to put our tree down December twenty eighth. I love Christmas music or or. Holiday music, and I don't want to burn out and get sick of them, and so I created an advent playlist initially just to have to mix it up so that we we don't burn out on Hark the Herald Angel sing right um but then I grew to appreciate gosh, there's so much great music out there that reflects waiting and reflects uncertainty and reflects hope and so um those are the songs in the Shadow and Light playlist, and every day of um, the book, I have an accompanying song suggestion, so you could just like play one song per day on this playlist. But all that said, so a few of the songs that are some of my favorite on the um, playlist, there's one called, um, uh, where did it go? Hold on. (laughs) There's one called All Things New by Andrew Peterson. Andrew Peterson shows up a number of times in this
0: playlist.
1: (laughs) So he's a good one. He's a good one. And um, I love that song of his. I love Mother of God from The Brilliance. Mm. That's beautiful. And and just a, a, a recognition of Mary is, is my new favorite thing about Advent. <laughs> There's another song called Wonder, and it's about Mary um, from Mary and Grace, and that's on my playlist as well. And then um, I don't know if you are a fan of Hamilton, but Leslie Odom Jr.'s Christmas album, it's fantastic, and he has a beautiful Ave Maria that is on. The oh, I will have to but listen to it. I adore. I love his voice. So I love
0: his awesome. voice. I I have to say, I'm I I missed the Hamilton bug somehow, but um, I I certainly love I love his voice. Yeah,
1: yeah. So I love it. His his holiday music is great. So I added that one because I'm a big fan.
0: That's cool. Well, yeah. I'm going to mention too that as well as there being a song for every day to go along with the readings um, that are primarily from Psalms. Um, You also have chosen a piece of art and that's available on your website. Is there a particular place that people should go if they want to get all of your Advent resources related to the book and otherwise?
1: Yeah. Every single thing is at shadowandlightadvent.com. So not only is the way, you know, to learn more about the book and uh, a link to your store where you can buy it, but also (laughs) Um, all the resources that come with it. So if you just scroll down on the page, you will see the Spotify playlist as well as all the art, one per day that is linked to. So all you have to do is literally click and you see the art assigned to the day. And you know, I tell a lot of people if they feel overwhelmed at the thought of recognizing Advent, um, especially if it's one of their first years to ever do. So don't feel like you have to do all the art and all the music and the candles and the everything. but, maybe pick two of the things. So if you are an art person, I'm a big art person, and you love history, there's a lot of um, old art, there's a lot of new art. And I just like having it up, um, you know, as a tab and on the computer, and then we just kind of look at it and reflect on it, maybe while the song is playing, right after we light the candle at night, that's just kind of what we do. And so if that's something that sounds meaningful to you, those resources are all there for that.
0: Phenomenal. Well, Tish, thank you so much for having a great conversation with me this evening. And um, I'm thrilled for your book. It is one of the most visually stunning covers I have ever seen. It feels so fresh and yet, um, yeah, is, is such a great nod to this beautiful, long tradition of celebrating the season of Advent. So I'm thrilled for your book. I'm grateful to be able to carry it in our shop and loved having a conversation with you thank, thank you, you jen same
1: with all of that same <laughs> i'm grateful for you and i love i love what everything it is you do so i'm, I'm delighted <laughs> to be here with you
0: thanks tish hi it's jen again just wanted to thank you for listening to this unedited version of the conversation you can find all the episodes recommended reading lists show notes and extras at sacred podcast wherever you're listening right now would you just subscribe and leave a review. Plus, if you happen to be on Spotify, you can find all of our seasonal playlists and start listening now. I'm dying to hear what you think of the new format flow and feel, plus the addition of these full-length versions too. Would you let me know on social media or in your review? We're Sacred Ordinary Days on Instagram and Facebook. Okay, thanks!